All right, the church said amen. 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 What an amazing song. And thank you guys for sharing God's talents that he's given to you and being a blessing to us because you're faithful and obedient to him. Thank you guys so much. What a way to celebrate Christmas. Amen. Through these great songs. I want to invite you this morning, if you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and I'm going to share a message with you this morning that really gets at the heart of Christmas. Uh, when I think about Christmas or the Christmas story, it's Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's God's revelation of the greatness that happened on that first Christmas when Jesus Christ was born. You know, I've often wondered, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of think about things, uh, about background kind of things that might have been going on and one of those things when I read Luke chapter 2 is I'm always uh, concerned or thoughtful about the journey that Joseph and Mary made. They left Nazareth and uh, walked or maybe rode on a donkey uh, to uh, Bethlehem. It's quite a journey to take in that particular time of year, but in the means that they had to travel it certainly was a dangerous long journey. But as they journeyed, I wondered what they might have talked about. Do you ever, you know, on a journey like that, there's probably a lot of small talk that went on between Mary and Joseph on the way to Bethlehem. And I just kind of uh, was thinking the other day about what that conversation might have looked like. You know, maybe they were like a lot of us and uh, complaining about the government because it's the government that caused them to have to go to Bethlehem, right? You know, they might have been thinking about, you know, Augustus Caesar, why in the world would he upset the world like this? And make people travel all over the place just so he can get a good count of, of who's a part of his, uh, his realm and his reign. And so they might have been uh, a little bit uh, anxious about uh, what was happening there. Or they might have thought through those practical things. What are we going to do when we get there? Where are we going to stay? Uh, what's it going to be like? All those kind of things. Uh, and yet by faith they took that journey. And they did what was expected. And God did what He expected to do. And we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read those verses for you and we'll pray and come back and think about some of those things. And it came to pass in these days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, in the days, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you today for testimony of a living, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the account of his birth and how he came to this earth. What that speaks to our heart today about his gift about what He did and came to do. 
Lord, I just pray this morning that you would open our understanding to hear your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, toward the end of this narrative of his birth, uh, Mary says something, or the scripture says something about Mary in verse 19 that we didn't read. But it says Mary remembered all these things, and, or she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you imagine what Mary might have reflected on about what was happening on the journey and then the subsequent birth of Jesus Christ that night? You know, one of the things I think that, that Mary might have thought about or that her heart might have pondered on is she was thinking about all these things that had happened from the beginning of their journey from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem and then seeing the birth of her son and all the things that happened around that birth. Maybe one of those things that she pondered in her heart as we look at this first Christmas through her eyes and through Joseph's eyes might have been the fact that she saw a providential God, that she saw a God at work around her that brought her to the place where literally history uh, would be marked by the birth of Jesus Christ. She saw a God after she took stock or after she took a look at the big picture of what had happened, that, that Mary saw the, the workings of God behind the scenes. You know, we, we've always say that hindsight's twenty twenty. We can always see better backward than we can forward sometimes. And so as she looked backward on this thing and she saw all that happened, she saw God who was at work. You know, if we are honest with ourselves and we begin to take a, a good look at our own lives, we may see that same God at work in our lives. Paul said this about the birth of Jesus in Galatians chapter 4. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul says, in the fullness of time. In other words, when everything was right, and when everything was what it was supposed to be and where it was supposed to be, then God acted. <laughs> it's as if God was saying, or Paul was saying, that, that when God had arranged everything the way it should have been arranged at that particular time, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. You know, I don't think we think often enough about God arranging things in our own personal lives in a way that, that he's, he's getting things to a place when everything's right. When everything is where it's supposed to be. You know, I look back at my own lives at some of the big things that God's done for me and with me. And if I look back and I think about those things, I can always see what God orchestrated to get me to where I needed to be and everything else to where it needed to be so that that thing could happen in my life. Sometimes those things were joyous things that uh, were celebratory. Sometimes those things were hard and painful and hurtful. But yet God was at work in those things. Listen to what He did from the Scripture and the birth of Jesus Christ. One of the things that God was working and that God was doing that is providential about it is, is that God, He aligns world leaders. That to God, even the great of the world are nothing for Him to move and for Him to work through. The Bible says that to get Jesus, think about this from 
Nazareth or to have Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth while Mary was expecting and get them to Bethlehem on time for Jesus' birth where he was supposed to be, that he began at the very top. He was working in, in Caesar Augustus' life and compelling him to, to, to register all the inhabitants of his, of his kingdom, all the Roman colonies, all the Roman provinces were gathered together to be counted. And as far as that count went and how it was to be taken, they had to go back to where they were from, to their hometown, to the original city of of their forefathers. And so it's nothing for God. He says in verse 1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out. He sent out the word. God was using this ungodly man to accomplish the most godly thing. And so he sent these out. Uh, it filtered down through even the governor of Syria, the one who was immediately in charge of the area, and, and it brought Mary and Joseph to where they needed to be. So God works in our leadership. One of the things the Bible says about our leadership is we ought to pray for our leadership. So we ought to lift them up, no matter whether we agree with them or not. The Bible doesn't say if you agree with your leaders, lift them up. The Bible says just lift them up in prayer. We ought to be doing that. Why? Because we want them to be open and sensitive to God working. Not only does He align world leaders, but also He arranges world events. God is so good about that. Uh, it says in the Scripture also that this census took place. That it really happened. It's a historical thing for you and I to look back on now, but it actually was something that was happening. It was part of what God was doing and about arranging Jesus and His birth in Bethlehem, God uses this one event to fulfill His Word and to change the world. When we begin to think about each of us, we can all look back, right, on something in our life that's happened, that's been significant in our lives, and see God and how He'd worked through that to bring us to that very place and to get us through those very difficult times sometimes. Not only does he arrange world events and align world leaders, but let me tell you that he affects world circumstances. Uh, look at verse 3 and listen to what uh, Luke records. He says, So all went to be registered, everyone to his, own, to his own city. You see, it was necessary for Joseph and Mary to be in Bethlehem for Jesus' birth. Jesus had to be born because His birth in Bethlehem was prophesied by uh, Micah. And in Micah's prophecy, that the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem gave testimony to His messianic authority because of that very birthplace. Scripture bears out the fact that Jesus would be born there. And because He was born there, it it gives strength and truth to the fact that Jesus Christ is Messiah. He was at work. You know, through, throughout Scripture and history, whether it's global or personal, we see the providential God at work. Think about Job's life just for a minute. If you remember Job, how that God was in, at work in, in Job's life. It, it may have been, you know, listen, Job, he may have been in the dark about how God was working. I don't think Job always understood all the things that were happening. Remember what happened to Job? He lost his family he lost his uh, possessions. He lost his health. He lost all those things. And, and Job might not have understood exactly how God was working. He may have been in the dark on how God was working, but listen, he never doubted who God was and what he was going to accomplish. 
And so Mary and Joseph went and they, and they followed. You know, the Scripture says this about the very thing of, of God affecting circumstances. It says, Paul writes, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Paul writes also in Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, uh, verse 10, he says that in, the, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might, he might gather together in, in one all things, that in His might He may gather together in, in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. Paul is saying that there's coming a day when God is going to gather all things together whether it's on heaven or in earth. He's going to gather His church together. Whether we're here or whether we're with Him in heaven, He'll gather us all together and we'll be together in Him. Now He's working toward that end. We see it all around us every day. And so God is at work. And so when Joseph and Mary and Mary begin to ponder these things in her heart, I'm sure she began to look at her circumstances and what happened and said, Man, God's been busy. He's been working He's been moving in all these things to get us to the place that His will is accomplished. Let me give you a second thing also that Mary may have pondered as well. Not, not only a providential God, but a promise-keeping God. That she saw in what had happened, uh, God who keeps His Word. It's important that we realize that God always keeps His Word. That God is faithful for you and I to put our confidence in. That He's faithful for you and I to believe and trust in. That no matter what our situation, our circumstances are, that we can rely, depend completely on God's Word. I think Mary found that to be true in all these things because God kept His promises in His Word. I mentioned earlier about the that God gave uh, people a, a location promise where Jesus would be born. He said that here's where He's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah says this, but you Bethlehem Ephraim, though you're a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's going forth and from of old, from everlasting. See, Micah said that, that through God's inspiration and through God's revelation that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Now, it's pretty significant when you think about Bethlehem itself because it's not a very significant city. It's a village, really, but yet the very name Bethlehem means house of bread. And in his very understanding that Jesus would be from the house of bread, who would be the bread of life. Bread of life, Jesus would come. Ephraim, another word, it means house of fruitfulness. You see, the, the very ministry of Jesus Christ takes an unfruitful, unproductive, ruined, destroyed life and makes that life productive. The only reason that any of us have any value whatsoever is because of Jesus Christ. The only reason we have any hope whatsoever in our life is because of what He's done for us and, 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 and His love for us. And so He promised this location and He kept His word. Not only was there a promise of location that was fulfilled here, but also there's a lineage promise here as well that he said not only where he'd be born, but who he'd be born of. He says because he was of the house of David. That's why 
Joseph went back to Bethlehem because that was David's home. And Joseph was from the lineage of David and through the prophecies of the Old Testament were given the fact that Jesus Christ would come through the very same house, the same lineage of David. Uh, Psalms 132 says this, The Lord has sworn in truth to David, He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Psalmist says, listen, that through you Messiah is going to come. Listen, God kept His word about where Messiah was going to be born, about who was the lens He was going to be born through. But there's one other promise here that's maybe not so pronounced, but it's in verse 5. But there, there's, there's a life promise here as well. Uh, that uh, <coughs> the Bible says in verse 5, uh, <coughs> that He would come with, with Mary to be registered with Mary, His betrothed wife who was, who was with child. You see, go back to that miraculous conception of Jesus Christ in Mary. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and where the Holy Spirit conceived in her a virgin, this this Jesus Christ, the babe. And all of a sudden, there's this promise of life. And Jesus Christ became not only the promise of life, but the very giver of life. The angel came to Joseph and uh, tried to assure Joseph that it was okay to take Mary, that nothing was wrong, that nothing had happened. Uh, one of the things that the angel told Joseph about the whole situation was that when you call him something, call him this, call him Emmanuel. God with us. Life with us. Life in us. Jesus Christ. He's the light and the life of the world. He's our life. When we receive Him and believe in Him, we that are dead in our trespasses and sin, He gives us life and He lives in us. It's what, what this gift of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about life. Eternal life. And so, Mary must have looked back and pondered in her heart, what, what is this? Whatever it is, it's, it's, God's, it's an expression of God's faithfulness. That, that God keeps His Word, He keeps His promises. Listen, what does that mean to you and I today? Well, it means He's the same God. He's the same one who's made promises and who keeps promises, who gives His Word and keeps His Word, who will not change, will not compromise, will not give up on you, but He'll give you life. A promise-keeping God. Well, let me give you a third thing. Mary may have saw and pondered on as, as her and Joseph looked at the circumstances and had that conversation about everything that went on, but she also saw a personal God. A personal God. Uh, a God who, who connects with, with us. God connects with us in many ways, but at least in, in this nativity passage, God certainly connects with us, first of all, through, through His submission. That because Jesus Christ was submissive, that it made a way for Him to connect with us. Look at verse 6. How, how was He submissive? He says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to deliver. In other words, <laughs> the act of submission on the part of Christ is He came. That, that He voluntarily, willfully, lovingly came from heaven to earth. 
It's pretty amazing. You know, you know we don't see the, the greatness of that very act itself. You know, we look at earth and we don't think it's pretty ba- too, too, too bad of a place because we live here. And it's the only place we've ever lived. We've never known anything but earth. And so we really don't know really how, how earth is from heaven's point of view. But Jesus did because he came from heaven to earth. Now, there's going to be a day when we'll know what heaven looks like and we'll experience heaven if we're a child of God and we'll be there. And I, I will, I'll promise you, I, listen, I'm going to say this with absolute certainty that when you're in heaven, you won't want to come back to earth. All right? We've never known anything. And so for Jesus to submit himself to such a degree that he would come from heaven to earth is a, is a monumental thing. And through that submission, though, we can know him. We can know him. If he hadn't come, we wouldn't know him. Jesus came to this earth. He identified with us as well. So God connects with us through submission. Another way a personal God connects with us also is God connects with us through sacrifice. That, that he gave up quite a bit. Verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I don't know where, listen, uh, the circumstances that were surrounding Jesus Christ when he came to earth certainly were, were, were not the same as he, they were in heaven. Jesus Christ made a sacrifice that he gave up all that he gave up to come here for us so that we could have salvation. Paul gives a description of what Jesus gave up in Philippians chapter 2 when he talked about Christ and, and him humbling himself. And he became in the form, he came in the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of man. Now, you know, you and I are thinking about that. Well, you know what's so bad about that? Uh, well, for Jesus Christ, he, he, he gave up so much. He limited himself. He, he, laid aside his manifest glory. He did all those things in, in a sacrificial way so that he could com- accomplish the work of salvation. He couldn't do that. He couldn't live among us and stay the way he was in heaven. He, he couldn't accomplish the work that the Father had sent him and stay the same the, the way he was in heaven. He, he had to change. He was born. He came. He inhabited a human body. He... he he became flesh, Scripture says, and dwelt among us. And all those in a sense were Christ humbling himself and part of the sacrifice he made. Now, of course, the greatest sacrifice that Jesus made was when he, when he took on our sins on himself on the cross. When, when he bore our sins on himself and when he took the righteous judgment of God on our behalf, on himself. He certainly sacrificed. But in order for him to connect with us, there had to be a measure of sacrifice. You see, he gave up himself for us. Personal God also, a God who connects with us not only through sacrifice and submission, but also he connects with us through struggle. Through struggle. Listen to the end of verse 7. Jesus gets here to earth. Can you imagine that? I mean, all of a sudden his... his, his uh, uh, first thing about earth after his birth was to find out that he was going to have to stay in a stable because there was no room for him at the end. Jesus Christ's life began in struggle here on earth. His 
existence here on earth was a struggle. He labored on our behalf in struggle so that He could provide for us eternal life. Now listen, the God who connects with us like that is a God who knows where we are every day. He knows our disappointments, our fears. He knows our anxieties and our anguish. He knows the things that we struggle with. He knows the pain of our disappointments. And in all those things, He can identify with us. The writer of Hebrews says that He's a great high priest who can sympathize with our our struggles in the sense that He's been there and has experienced those things. You see, you and I will never go through anything that Christ hadn't already gone through. Uh, Disappointments, uh, struggles, pain, all those things Christ knows and identifies with us. Why? Because He came to connect with us as Savior. He did that through His birth and through the life that He gave for us on the cross. You see, I think Mary had quite a bit to ponder. I think as she began to think through all the things that happened, all the things that, hey, you know what? I I can see that God is a God who's always working. He's active in our lives today. I think she saw a God who, who kept His Word, who was faithful. So in all those things, God was, was faithful to, to Himself and to, to her and Joseph. But that in all those things also that Mary saw a God who was personal, who looked after her needs and cared for her life as believers. As God who is our Father, we, we have that same kind of relationship with Him. And at Christmas time is one of the greatest times that we celebrate that kind of relationship. Now, you know, for, for that kind of relationship to happen in any of our lives, the Bible says that we, we, we must believe. Scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Bible says it's because of God's grace and it's because of our faith in that grace that God gives us eternal life and salvation. So the real question is, is have we believed on Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Have we come to that point, that place in life where we've trusted Him, believed in Him, that He did what He did on the cross for me, that it becomes personal? If you have, then you're going to begin to see God working. Experience His faithfulness. Know His personalness in your walk and your life. And if that's your testimony, then then that's the testimony of, of salvation. If it's not, then maybe it's time that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Bow with me if you would and let's pray.